1: all right here we go we now know the golden state warriors the 2022 nba champions Meaning, it's draft week so lots to talk about with the sixers we've had some reports of who they might take at number 23 what prospects they like also going to talk about what's happening in the free agency front also potential trades as well joining me like the well we haven't done this in a while guys actually look it's been like a month but mr paul hudrick of course and jackson frank sporting the brand new haircut looking looking very suave there jackson all right so we have to get that introduction there too um how are you guys doing first off and then what did you think of the nba finals
2: it's fun series it was weird series though right like uh, these big giant lead changes and ridiculous shooting at times and funky but it was uh but it was good i mean uh, it's I was talking to someone about the warriors and the way like the team building, it's, it's like a, it's like a masterclass when you have a team that just won the finals. And now you still have Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and potentially James Wiseman. Like they're all waiting behind these guys. Like it's, it's mind boggling. And also, I mean, I think maybe it's just me, but I feel like sometimes Steph Curry actually gets a little underrated. Like, it's he's great, and not only is he great, he's fun to watch. Like I, outside of like him beating your team in the playoffs, I don't know how you could dislike him. He is changed the game. He's great. He's a good guy. He does he does good things off the court. Like he is everything you could possibly want in an NBA basketball player. So I just wanted to give him some roses there for a second.
1: I'm with you. I mean, watching that series and as the Warriors went on, once they beat Memphis and I saw that Dallas had beaten Phoenix, obviously in that game seven blowout, I was kind of like, well, the Warriors are going to get to the finals, right? And then being down two to one. And obviously we know a lot about Boston being, being a Sixers rival. Like Jackson, when you watched that series too, I want to get your input on this. Did you look at that and think to yourself, like how far off are the Sixers from reaching that level? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think, I think they're pretty far off, honestly. Um, it just just the level, like the, I look at, I look at the both of these teams respectively and you know, who made the finals, and like the fact that they had, you know, it didn't happen every game, but they had seven to eight different guys that like you could rely on to play. Whereas the Sixers, by you know, game three or four of the, or even game one of the second round, were like at three or four guys that you could. I mean, obviously, you know, with Embiid is probably three or four, um, but without them, you were looking at like. It was Tobias to start the series, and then it was Maxi, and then a little bit of, you know, Harden had that big game four. But yeah, they're they're pretty far off compared to a team like Boston that brings Derek White off the bench, or a team like, uh, you know, a, a team like Golden State that brings Kevon Looney and, and Gary Payton Jr. off the bench, two guys who are you know excellent role players. So um, yeah, I think there's you know, I, I don't remember who I was. Potting with, but it was at one point recently, you know, with someone in the Liberty Ballers Network, but time with, like, I think they can get, like, I think the Sixers can get there, but it requires such a, like, kind of optimal team building path over the next, you know, two months or so um, to get there that it feels pretty tough. But some of it too, you know, could come with internal improvement with Harden, you know, maybe back to where he was a couple of years ago. Another leap from Maxi, maybe we see even another small leap from Joel. Um, and you sign one or two more guys like he did last year with a drum and a Yang. Um, obviously, Yang had his struggles in the playoffs, but Um, yeah, so it doesn't feel impossible. Definitely feel like there's a sizable gap um, between the Sixers caliber and the caliber of these teams we just saw play in a pretty exciting finals.
1: Yeah, that was, and it was a lot of, like you mentioned, Paul, great shot making, and you saw the depth come out for for both those teams, where you have guys like Grant Williams, Al Horford, you know what I mean? Hitting shots for the Celtics, and then you look at the Warriors, as you mentioned, Jordan Poole. These guys coming out and and doing it, and we just the Sixers have just lacked that, so this is going to be a huge offset. We're going to jump into some Philly talk in a bit, but some other news coming down the pipeline this morning from Shams from The Athletic, basically saying Kyrie Irving, the Brooklyn Nets, might be having some sort of impasse there. We don't know if he's going to be around next season. Paul, what do you make of that? And then obviously we heard, hey, the Lakers and the Knicks are the are the suitors, which is no surprise there because they seem to be connected to everyone at this time of the year. But when you look at, at that report and, and where Kyrie might end up next season, how likely to, is it that you think that he's not back with, with the Nets?
2: Well, I would give just about anything to see Kyrie Irving as a New York Nick um playing for for Tom Thibodeau I don't know that anything would be greater um it would be tremendous <laughs> tremendous tremendous fun um but with that said this all feels like posturing to me I I don't think that either side has like leverage if I'm be, like the Nets kind of have to keep Kyrie cuz I don't know what they're going to do if they don't and with Kyrie if you don't stay with the Nets and stay with KD yeah, you probably have other options, but like I, I, I don't know. I I don't, I don't see it. Like I, I, to me, this all feels like posturing that's out in the open, negotiating out in the open. And I think eventually, you know, what, whatever the deal looks like, it gets done, and Kyrie Irving will be a net. And like it, it's kind of like the Sixers in the sense with James Harden. Like you're, you're married to this guy. Like this is it. Like you, you know, you can negotiate. You could try to do some different things. Maybe there's some, you know, there's an impasse in some ways, but like it, it's eventually, I, I think a deal gets done and, and Kyrie will remain a Brooklyn net. Jackson,
1: I wanted to, wanted to ask you about the nets too, because you look at the KD stuff, right? And I'm not, Kevin Durant's one of the best basketball players to ever do it. I don't think there's any, any doubt about that, but obviously looking back after that 2016 loss to the Warriors where they were up three, one in OKC. Then he joins the team. They win two championships in the next three years. Obviously, probably would have won a third in a row if he's not hurt and potentially Clay doesn't go down in game six late in the, late in that third quarter there back in 2019 against the Raptors. When you when you look at at KD's legacy and how things were like, you know, Steph won one and Clay and Draymond won one without him, now have won one without him again. Do you think that hurts his kind of stature at all? And and like does he does he have to win one on his own to kind of validate himself again I, I I want to say that the right way because he's so damn great that it's hard to to talk about him like not being as a as a part of upper upper echelon guy in the league and not only now but historically as well like where do where do you sit at with, with kd now the pressure on him maybe to win a title because those guys have done it without him
0: one i would say just based on every public you know every hint at public persona that Katie's given us, I don't think he cares about that at all. And two, it doesn't really matter to me because like, yes, Katie struggled to an extent in this year's first round, but he was so good last year. And I don't want to do ifs, ands, or buts, but like he was good enough to be the number one guy on the title team last year. That, that game, was it was at five or six? I think it was game five when he had 49, 17, 10, is legitimately one of the greatest games I've ever. I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not some historian. I've been watching the NBA for 40 years, but one of the greatest games I can recall watching, you know, in depth. So to me, it doesn't. Really, I know people will talk about it, but to me, I think he's he's stamped as a top 15, top 20 guy conservatively. Um, he doesn't seem to care about whether, like, obviously he wants to win. But doesn't seem he doesn't seem to be like bothered about the worst success without him, um, because as good as Steph is, I, I mean, it's tough for me to say that. The Warriors win this year if if Draymond, you know, has some injury, you know, in the second round, like a hardened it or And then Wiggins goes down with that. Right. So um, that's not to me to say that. Like, Steph is not. He's incredible. Everyone who follows my work knows that I'm very, you know, uh, positive about Steph. But just the context of the KD was so good last year. And unfortunately, his two co-stars went down and they were still, you know, an overtime away or a half a half a foot smaller away from from going on in the the, the conference finals and who knows if they beat the Hawks or whatever happens there. But yeah, to me, it doesn't really, it doesn't really affect things. I know he had one bad series, but I thought KD, when he was healthy this year was really, really incredible. Um, The way he's kind of adapted his role in Brooklyn, depending on who's available or who's around is really impressive. So um, to me, it doesn't matter. I know, you know, the bigger talking heads will want to make that a thing, but to me, it's not something I'm interested in. It doesn't seem like something KD's interested in. So um, I think he's in a fine spot. I will say with the nets in general, you know, if Kyrie does come back, and I I would agree with Paul, that just seemed like a lot of posturing. Despite this team, you know, flaming out and having such a weird and poor year, I don't think they're like miles away from being a team that can go to the second round and be on again. I think, you know, they clearly ended up, they lost 4 and with three close games to the, you know, second best team in the league this year. I know, you know, it's at the end of the day, you got to win a game, but I don't think they're like Miles, but I think, I don't think it's one of the, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't feel like the same as another team losing the, Like it doesn't feel like the wolves, right. now I'm trying to take a shot at the wolves, but another team that loses in the first round. Um, so I think they're fine. I, you know, I, I wouldn't bet on it, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets, you know, make the finals extra or anything like that. So um, that's kind of where I stand on that, but I wouldn't, I don't think they're like my my pick or anything in, in late June.
1: Well, it's, it's true what you say about KD. It just seems like the way he is, he's like, eh, I don't really give a crap. I'm probably going to make like $500 million in my career. Dude, I got a couple of rings. I'm all right. You know what I mean? I don't need to impress any of you guys sitting behind a microphone and 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 talking smack about me. Uh, Paul, shifting gears to the Sixers. You've been all over this at LibertyBallers.com. They have the number 23 pick. Brooklyn obviously deferred till till next season. Um, Lots of options available maybe not somebody who's going to come in right away and be an immediate impactful player but some guys who are going to have some potential and may be able to be rotational and and develop more when you're looking at what they need and who are some of those guys that we're going to fill that who is who are some of the prospects you're looking at with the number 23 pick that you think make the most sense for the Sixers.
2: You know, when you talk about need, uh, I'll say two things. One, I don't think the Sixers are as concerned about need. I think they're going to take the best player on the board. And since Daryl Morey here has been here, that's been the case. Um, it, it, in hindsight, and I, and personally, I loved Tyrese Maxey coming out. I thought it was a crime that he fell to the Sixers at 21. Uh, I thought that was terrible. But um, he was still a 19-year-old player, one-year, one-and-done guy. And then last year they take Jaden Springer, who was 18 years old, one and done guy. I believe he was the youngest player in the NBA this season. So they're not going to take a guy that, you know, they're not going to reach for a player, I should say, just because he might fit. Um, and I think when you look back a couple of years ago, that's kind of what they did with Theibel, right? They, they traded up because Matisse was a four-year college player. He's 22 years old. And so they thought, okay, this guy can help us right away. And he did. He, he did help them right away. He, he had a role immediately. Um, Tyrese Maxey did too, but I don't think anyone was anticipating that he would have a role immediately. And I think Jaden Springer, it was more of what you would expect from a late first round pick. That's 18 years old. I, I, you know, spending the year in the G league to develop his game. And with, I think with Jaden, the jury is just way, way, way too far out. We have no idea what, whether, what this guy's going to be, um, and whether or not he's going to be a player at the next level. We just don't know. Um, so I think when you look at 23, It's going to be that like they're going to look for the best player available. They're not going to just take a guy because, oh, um, you know, he might be able to help them this year. I do think there are guys that can maybe appease both of those things. Like if a Jalen Williams happens to slip, because it looks like to me, he looks like he's going to be a top 20 guy at this point now. Um, He's the the guard from um, Santa Clara, who's 6'6", 7-foot wingspan, basically played point guard this past season, um, can do it. I mean, offensively can do a little bit of everything. The shot really improved low volume granted from three, but was um, right around 40% this past season. And the numbers definitely jumped from the prior year, I believe he's 21. So there's a, a theoretical path for him to carve out minutes immediately because doc rivers can see his birth certificate says he's 21 years old. And <laughs> you know, if he can make, if he can make a catch and shoot shot, um, if he could play passable NBA defense, then he might have a chance to earn some minutes. Um, and you look at another guy a, a guy that I love who who's like kind of's the, the, been my kind of draft crush has been Dale and Terry from Arizona because you know he's he's 19. so that's the tricky part there is that you know maybe he, maybe Doc you need to you need to scribble out the the year on his birth certificate. so doc will just look at him as a basketball player. But when you look at Terry, the thing I love about him and I wrote in my profile form on Libertyballers.com, Just not a lot of weaknesses to his game. He can do a little bit of everything and do it pretty damn well. Um, The shot is the biggest concern, which I feel like that's for, I don't know, 80% of players joining the NBA, like especially that are falling into the the 20s or so. That's their biggest concern. But I think, you know, he improved um, from freshman year to sophomore year, he was like below 30s. Freshman year up to thirty-six percent on a higher volume in year two. It's the free throw percentage went up, which is always a a, a decent indicator that a guy might have more. When you watch him, he has a really good touch. Um, you know, he's got a really nice little floater that he can finish on. He's athletic. Again, six seven, um, seven foot one, I believe, wingspan and eight ten standing reach, like one of the longest quote unquote guards in the draft. Um, he played point guard in high school and then had to kind of conform in Arizona to fit and play more of a wing role but the playmaking was still there. Um second, I think in the pack 12 in in assist to turnover ratio. So this is a guy who just ticks a lot of boxes. Plus if you've seen an interview with him, read anything about him, he is a delight. Like he is like he like he's the type of guy that on his personality, I could bet on that because he just he's hungry, he's confident, he's got a swagger to him. Um, the, 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 the Mike Schmitz interview he did at the combine was like, I swear he was like playing Sixers draft target bingo, like just nailing all the things that they need. Um, and on top of that, I saw him when he worked out for the blazers, he was asked about, you know, being projected as a late first round pick. He said, well, there's going to be a redraft in like 10 years and it's going to look a lot different. Like that's kind of the kind of guy the Sixers need, right? Like they need a guy who's got a little bit of that, a little of that bravado, a little bit of that energy. Um, even though he's a young guy, like you could still inject some some of that into this team and i think it could be helpful um but i think there's potential for him to be more too like i don't think it's just oh he's 19 he can maybe be a 3 and d guy and that's it like i think he can do that maybe initially to play alongside you know the Joel beads and the james hardens but as he gets older he could perhaps develop into more maybe play some point guard um at the next level then after that like if if, if those wings are gone if it's like guys like williams uh terry if you know a tory eason like if those guys are all gone I think 23 might be a little bit of a reach for like a a Bucamp from the G league um, or any other wing you might be looking at. I think maybe you're you're reaching at 23. So I would look for a lot of these score first guards. You see, Uh, I just mentioned the G league Jaden Hardy is, is a super interesting polarizing prospect. This guy was the number two recruit coming out of high school and now is projected to go into the twenties because he really struggled at the G league level with the three-point line, with being an 18-year-old playing with a bunch of grown men, but you saw flashes of what made him so coveted as a recruit and what 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 you could see you could project him to be as an NBA player, as a potentially prolific scorer. So there's guys like that available too. So it's going to run the gamut. Like, And we, I've spent all this time looking at prospects, looking at the draft because I love it, but – there is a very real possibility that this is not their pick by the end of the night, or at least the player they take will not be theirs by the end of the night. So um, a lot of possibilities. And I think with Darren Mori behind the wheel, you cannot rule any of them out. Well,
1: Paul, you said lots of energy, confident, swagger i thought you were describing jackson frank but no okay yeah you were talking <laughs> about Jalen williams there okay well you shift into what you're saying there paul too that keeping the pick we don't know necessarily that they're going to do that there's going to be some salary cap stuff that we can get into too i think roughly it's about two and a half million dollars for the number 23 pick and again what happens with harden is going to affect their their tax non-taxpayer mid-level exception to buy it like Biannual annual exception, there's a bunch of factors at play here that we aren't going to get real answers to until after the draft because we'll know for sure by June 29th what Harden's going to do in terms of uh, his opt-in number and what happens with the extension there. So, Jackson, I want to ask you, too, when you look at trying to build out this team, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast, which is, okay, the Warriors, the Celtics, we've seen team building there. They obviously have their own draft picks. They're drafted and developed, but they also made some moves to, to acquire – around the periphery to, to bring in some talented guys as well. So what do you think Daryl is gonna do, Jackson, ultimately with that 23 pick? Do you think they end up keeping it or do you end up moving it by the end of the night?
0: Yeah, I would say the the one thing just to touch off some of Paul's points there. Um generally like people you talk about the needs thing. The Sixers have a lot of needs, right? They they could use another ball handler. They could use some range of the three and the four. They still have a fairly kind of big question mark of who's gonna start at the three in place of Danny Green. Backup center is still something that they could maybe you look to shore up. So obviously I don't think they go with that. Another, another draft guy, but point being is like, they don't just have one knee that they need to target in the, in the draft, Right, there's a lot of different ways they go about it, which allows you to, you know, consider many different players. But my, my gut tells, there's just been so much smoke around the idea of moving this pick. My gut tells me they're going to move it. Like I just, I think, I think Daryl is heady enough to recognize that doc does, you know, have a little bit of distrust with young players. And he already has a Charles Bassey, a Paul Reed, and Isaiah Joe, a, you know, Matisse Sabo, because he'll kind of fall into that range sometimes with inconsistencies. A Tyrese Maxey, all these different guys, like I don't know how like I just I just can't see a a path to where like a guy they draft is really going to amplify their championship hopes this year. Like, you know, I've I've done way less draft work this year than, than Paul or a lot of my other coworkers at Liberty Ball, but reading about it from you guys and other people who cover the draft really well, it doesn't seem like there is a a Tyrese Maxey in this draft or even a Jaden Springer where like People on draft Twitter like them as top 10 players, but they're not viewed that way. So, I um, mean, that's and James Bringer didn't help the Sixers this year in terms of being a rotation guy. He can eventually I'm not trying to disparage him, but um, point being, even a guy that people like as the top 10 in certain circles didn't provide rotation this last year. So um, to me, it just seems like there's something they could do with, you know, the combination of Danny Green, a $10 million salary, um, maybe Matisse, the 23 pick, like one that's come to mind that I've, t- I've talked a little bit about something centered around, 23 and thiable for Monty, Monty Morris. I know that I would I would do that if I'm the Nuggets, but it seems like he's available and they could use perimeter defense and the Sixers could use one more ball handler, a guy like an upgrade in Shake's role. I think would really help them. Maybe make Shake that fourth guard in the rotation. Then um, third, I think could really behoove them. Again, I, I'm not saying this is something that would happen, but it just seems like given the fact that 23 is probably available, Matisse is standing in the, in the Sixers doesn't seem to be. As rosy as it is, maybe league wide, and Monty Morris is available. When he provides some ball handling, Um, you know, I mean, he was. I I wouldn't say he's like quite a starting caliber guy on on a great team, but he started last year on a playoff team and was pretty dang good. Um, So you make him your third guard. You're in a pretty good spot, just as the Nuggets were, you know, um, you know before, like how good they were, you know, when Murray was healthy and Michael Porter Jr. and and Morris come off the bench. So that's one ideal that makes sense to me. I'm sure there's others out there that maybe people like, but just. You know, paying attention to some of the tea leaves, it seems like there's at least the framework of something happening there. But and the fact that I think the Nuggets have been linked to Andrew Nembhard, you know, another point guard maybe projects as kind of the second, third guy, you know, ball handler. So um, just something that comes to mind again. I don't want I don't want Nuggets fans to, to come for me. It's just kind of reading the tea leaves again. I wouldn't do it from Denver's perspective necessarily, but clearly they could use some upgrade on the perimeter. And what better way to do that than a two time all defensive team uh, team player in, in Matisse Leibold?
1: Yeah. never mind the fact that you can't shoot for, the, you know what, but that's okay. That's a topic for another day. Uh, Paul wanted to ask you about this too, because as, as you heard Jackson mentioning, okay, you can look at, at making some trades. And I, as I talked about a little bit there before that James Harden contract is a big thing because that is going to tell us what they have in terms of assets to sign some players, what they're going to have in terms of wiggle room against the cap. Um, could opt into $47.4 million for next season, but we've been hearing reports that he's going to sign a three-year extension, possibly four-year extension. Where do you think that's going to end up coming in in terms of total value? And do you think it's kind of is on Harden if, if he wants to make sure that the Sixers are able to add some talented vets in, in the free agent market. Jackson, you mentioned the $10 million non-guaranteed contract of Danny Green, so if they waive him before July 1, they'll have that available there too. Um, can't go over 155.7 total because that's they'll be hard capped at that point. So, Paul, wh- what do you think happens with Harden's extension? Is he ultimately going to give the team a bit of a break in your opinion? And if so, what do you think Daryl looks for in, in the offseason in terms of free agent market?
2: I have to be honest that I just have no clue. Like, I really don't, and I think I, there's a lot of people that are obviously really plugged in and, and really know and you know have, have said that basically it seems like Harden will opt in and then sign an extension thereafter, um, whether that's two, three, four years kind of remains to be seen. It seems like just from what we've been reading and from the reports, I have no inside knowledge of this, but it seems more like Daryl Morey perhaps wants to give him more, ownership wants to give him less, which I think, Probably makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> there is something to the idea, like, and we, we, but we really don't know. And I think what makes it more complicated is like, Jace Harden doesn't have an agent, so where, we'll, like, any leaks, where are they coming from? Because he's negotiating, he, I guess, through the through the player association, and uh, uh, that's where he's mostly negotiating this deal from. So, and then him and Mori and they have this relationship already. So I'd have to think that most of what they're doing. Is probably in good faith, and they're probably not going to do a lot of that kind of underhand stuff. You would think that they're going to be mostly transparent with each other. So I, I, I am, I am, I'm really just as curious as anyone, like what this is going to look like. Because then, because there's this, you know, this thought I've seen, and I know we've discussed it a lot in our Liberty Baller Slack channel. This idea of, you know, if he doesn't opt in, is there a deal where they backload the deal where it does hurt you down the stretch, but right now it gives you a little more flexibility to maybe do some stuff or vice versa, where it doesn't hurt as much on the back end, but you're lacking flexibility right now. And that's, it's tricky. Um, Because it's not, to me, it's not even just the hardened stuff. You know, I, I personally don't see a path to a Tobias Harris trade. Now, it only takes one team, and it only takes the right deal to get it done. And Darren Mori was able to move Al Horford and Josh Richardson on the same night a couple of years ago. So never say never. But it seems like Tobias the better time or the more realistic time to move him is probably next off when he's only got a year left on his deal. Um, so maybe that's where you get flexibility down the road. But as far as, yeah, Harden's deal, it's, I, I have no strong feeling. I, I really don't. And it's not even a cop-out. I just don't know. I, I really don't know what it looks like. Like I said, smarter people, more plugged in people than me believe it'll be an opt-in <laughs> and then a multi-year deal after that, which um, you know, the Sixers to an extent are kind of at the mercy of this guy. Like we talked about Kyrie off the top. Like they're married, the Sixers and, the, and James Harden. Like now it's just a matter of they have to figure out what works best for both sides.
1: Jackson, what do you think ultimately ends up happening on, on that front, your opinion on that with with uh, Harden there? Like do, would you rather, like from your perspective, obviously covering the team and, and covering the league as a whole, do you look at him as a guy like, hey man, take a little bit less. If you get forty, you know, million for next season and then you can, like Paul said, might be able to make up, some of that number. It's crazy to me that we talk about people, you know, 47 million, 43 million. I mean, that's insane to me. But, um, you know, looking at that, like, how do you think this is going to play out from a Sixers perspective?
0: Yeah, I think I mean, like, I mean, the the big the big you know newsbreaker who t- talked about last week was was Jake Fisher. Right. Who had I think he was the one that talked about opting in the tier extension. And Jake was all over the, the even like Harden's initial un- unrest, uh, you know, back in like mid-January or so. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I said, I just think, you know, Jake's been he's, he's covered, he's been pretty plugged in with the Sixers organization for a while and clearly has sources within, you know, like I was going to say like Harden in his group, but it's it's just Harden. So, um, I tend to kind of trust that he's been right about a lot of things over the last couple of years. And so, um, that's my understanding is it probably be, you know, you can opt in this year and then do a two-year extension. And it seems like those next two years wouldn't be fully agreed upon until August 10th, because that would mark the six month anniversary of him you know being dealt to Philly so um that's where I stand as for him taking a, a pay cut I think that's all up to him I mean I, I'm never going to advocate for a guy to take less money than they you know than they can theoretically get um and I but I also would say it seems pretty rare like it seems like this stuff these, these things kind of get floated around every now and then and it never actually comes to fruition because it's human nature to to take as much money as is as, is available to you so um if he wants to do it cool and that's you know it's an, it's a nice gesture but I, I can't see it happen because I just feel like it's the you know, it's the, it's like the Charlie Lucy and the Charlie Brown foot, football, right? The different people always say that. And then time comes and they take as much money as they, they can. And we're going to, you know, never going to criticize someone for that.
1: Well, let's be honest. I mean, if you want to kick a couple hundred thousand to us, we'll go ahead and take some yeah, of yeah, yeah, no yeah. Yeah. The Liberty ballers <laughs> podcast that we'll sing your praises all the time, James Harden. But, uh, okay, let's, uh, let's wrap up on this fellas. Um, looking at this now, I mean, like, like I said, we're going to have the draft coming up on Thursday. Uh, free agency kicking off basically a week later. We're going to have we're going to know for sure what Harden's status is in terms of his opt-in or not by by the 29th. Paul, when you're looking at this from a perspective that and as we said, we know that they're a very good team, a second round team even as constructed. But are they going to be able to get to the conference finals, to, to the NBA finals? they're gonna to have to make some moves in order to do that. And then Daryl's gonna to have to be smart and and come up with the right ideas, whether it's a trade, whether it's it's attracting the right free agents, like a veteran guy, because they're not gonna have a lot of room to get a bona fide star at this point. As you mentioned, the Tobias Harris trade potentially is making 37 million next season. 39 million the year after that maybe you can get off that contract although not a lot of wiggle room with the draft picks in terms of the futures as well but Paul when you're looking at this from your perspective what is the number one thing that Daryl Morey has to do this offseason in order to elevate this team from second round out to potentially a conference or NBA finalist
2: yeah I mean I, I it goes back to the 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 topic when they got eliminated it's that that toughness that 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 dog player like they they need like they need pj tucker like they need got a guy or guys like that and like jackson astutely mentioned off the top with the warriors like they had playoff you know six seven eight playoff caliber players the sixers did do not did not have that do not have that and so it's about lengthening this roster i think that's the biggest thing like it's not just that's why to me you know we saw a lot of talk early on about the idea of getting that third star, getting a Bradley Beal, which sounds great and sure. If you can do it, go ahead and do it. But um, then you're going to have to get creative and you're going to have to use your minimums and your exceptions, whatever is available to you, which again does hinge on what Harden's extension looks like. That's going to you know determine what those exceptions look like, but you're going to have to nail them. Like you're going to have to hit them. And that, that, that to me is like, the bigger thing with, with, with like the Sixers and Maury in this offseason. it's not to me. It's not about like the big swing. Um, and it's not about like making a splash, although they might. Um, it's very possible. It's about just getting everything right. Like you have to nail it. And that's how you get from being a second round exit team to perhaps getting to the Eastern conference finals and beyond is you have to make sure if you have that biannual exception, you have that mid level, you get two players that both contribute and are playoff-caliber-worthy players. If you do trade Matisse Steibel, you better get a guy back who can help you in the playoffs. Um, if you trade 23, again, that guy better help you when the postseason comes around, and he better fit. That's the other thing. Like um, you, you got to get a player that actually fits what James Harden, what Joel Embiid, what Tyrese Maxey, what these guys do. Um, I think everything is on the table. Um, I know Pom- Keith Pompey reported last week, about the Sixers shopping guys. I mean, I'm the people I've spoken to. Like I'm of the belief that Joel Embiid is safe. Tyrese Maxey safe. They want to bring back James Harden, everything else on the table. Like there is nothing that they won't at least listen to or talk about. But um, to me, it's not about that splash. It's about lengthening the roster and, and finding more playoff, playoff contributors to add to what you have. And Maybe some of that does come from within. Maybe, you know, Paul Reed, actually, I think you could argue, was sometimes the fifth guy who looked like an actual playoff player, which is crazy to say. Um, maybe he elevates his game a little bit. Um, you know, maybe Bassey gets in the mix, and maybe he's a guy that can help you a little bit more, and that allows Paul Reed to maybe play some four. George Niang was hurt last year. Granted, he didn't – the playoffs didn't go so well for him in Utah either, but he was – his knee was pretty banged up last year, and maybe he gives you more – um, this time around. So there is some internal stuff that can happen, but externally, they, again, just need to bring in players that they know for sure can contribute when the postseason comes around and that can fit with what they already have.
1: Uh, Jackson, we'll wrap up on this, too. Let me know what, what what are your thoughts on that, like in terms of the number one priority for the Sixers? And because I mentioned you do a great job of covering not only Philly, but the league as a whole. Is there any player out there that you're looking at with those exceptions? And again, we don't know what the total is going to be yet. We're going to find that out depending on Harden's contract situation, the Danny Green stuff. So a lot of factors that play still. But yeah, what is your number one priority for the Sixers? And if they are going to go hunting to add some of these playoff caliber guys, who are some of the people that come to mind for you? Yeah, well, one I would say just about Paul Reed, like
0: I I have basically zero interest in the Sixers addressing backup center via free. I I, I just think Paul, like, I think what Paul Reed showed in those last like month where he got to play, like I am I am a believer that he can he can give you twelve minutes a night in the playoffs, and if you give him an entire re- regular season, we saw how quickly he got better. Like I I am I am not like I don't I think that's a, what they're not going to be a shrewd eye allocation of their limited resources. Um, but kind of things I should address, I think trying to find more, and this is easier said than done. But trying to find more guys who can kind of approximate the role that Tobias played in the playoffs. You know, that guy that gives you that big wing defender who can space the floor and shoot a high volume of threes, maybe attack close out. He moved the ball really well too in the playoffs, I thought for the most part. Um, that's kind of the general kind of three skills that I want guys who can guard a couple of positions and they're give you strength on the perimeter, can space the floor, and are going to kind of be able to make connective passes. We're not asking Tobias to throw, you know, one handed skip passes out of a high pick and roll. Um, but I thought when he got downhill in the playoffs, he was pretty good about making, you know, kickout passes and things like that. So um, granted, that sort of player is not just going to be like abundant on the on the free agency market, but um, that's kind of the general skill set, you know, that I would be looking for, but at least in like even just with individual skills of a player. So um, I've heard about a few targets on this, you know, that the Sixers could could sign this offseason. I don't know how many of them are plausible, but I think among the most plausible options right now would be Gary Harris. He might be priced out of their range, depending on kind of where they're, Taxpayer, if it's the taxpayer, non-taxpayer, um I think he's a guy that could get, you know, three twenty-four with some provisions, two twenty with some provisions, you know, maybe it's depending on health or three-point percentage things like that. Um, but and I know he's a little smaller than people might like, and I understand that. But really good cutter, shot incredibly well from the corners this year from three, um, pretty good as an off-ball defender as well. I keep writing about the Sixers need guys who kind of play that off-ball chaser role, um, but he's also solid to the point of attack and get around screens well. Um, there is concern that, you know, the injury history is there and he hadn't had, you know, a very encouraging year beyond, you know, this past season for the last couple of years, two or three years. But um a guy I like a lot there. Um, other guys that have written about Weston Matthews seems like almost a lock to stay in Milwaukee. Um, the Martin twins are guys that I like, but they're both restricted free agents. So that's a tough, tough swing. Um, I've written about Gary Payton the second, but he seems like almost a lot. I mean, like it just seems like no incentive unless they just refuse to pay him. You know, unless another team gives him like twice as much money, then it just seems unlikely he leaves. And the Sixers aren't a team that, like, I, I can't see I can't see the Sixers offering twice as much as the Warriors. Um, so those are names, but other guys that you know I like a guy like DeLon Wright, but the the Hawks have his Bird rights. Um, got good length. I think he was like arguably the the Hawks' best perimeter defender <laughs> down the stretch last year with his length. Um, can be passive offensively at times, and that can be frustrating. But actually has you know some some chops and you know as a driver and whatnot with his length. So. Um, I'll continue to write about guys over the next, you know, two weeks or so. So keep, keep on the lookout for that. But, um, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Cause I think a lot of the guys that I, I think make a ton of sense aren't very likely to, to leave the Sixers, but, um, lesser guys, you know, I can see like a, like a Damien Lee. I know he wasn't in the rotation, but I think he showed some good stuff at times. Um, one Connor Anderson's another one I like, but he's a guy from the Bay cracked into the NBA with the Warriors. Just seems really implausible. He leaves, um so and he was a rotation guy two years ago so who's to say that maybe he isn't again um auto porter the same way but again he found consistent health for the first time in about half a decade in, in golden state so um i guess i'm just i'm just trying to poach the warriors bench
1: apparently
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they had, like, they had like, like seven bench guys who could have played minutes for the sixers in the playoffs so um yeah that's a lot of different guys gonna mind But i'll, I'll try to write about at least three or four or five more you know between now and free agency over the next couple of weeks we gotta get Daryl
1: Murray on the phone with, with Bob Myers there, right? Start working <laughs> some working some of these back channel deals.
2: It yeah. sounds like dumb and oversimplifying it, but like they just need guys who can like play. You know what I mean? Who like just have like a a feel for the game and kind of like what you touched on, Jackson, like no shoot when they when it's when they're supposed to shoot, make the extra pass and they're supposed to make the extra pass, are in the right spots where they're supposed to be defensively. Like just guys who just play the game the right way. Like for lack of a better term, like guys who just can play, um, and they just haven't had enough of that. Uh, not even just last year in general. Like over the last few years, they just haven't had enough of that. And, um, yeah, it, it, like I said, it sounds kind of silly or like oversimplifying it, but, um, I really think it might be as easy as that. Guys who just know how to play the game. No, I would realize. mention. I would
0: say a couple more guys. I'm looking. I have like a. I have a big list of guys, so I'm looking at them now. But, um, I think guy like Daniel House makes some sense as well. Curly has a history with Harden and Maury um i liked what he did this past year actually in, in utah showed some pretty impressive perimeter defense is not as much as a shooter as much he's like a guy who can attack closeouts and pass a little bit um so he makes some sense devon reed is a restricted free agent with the nuggets mm-hmm. um kind of similar he's pretty good at the point of attack and stretch the floor um another guy Derek jones jr i think you know he he's a guy that i think is probably the, like the most plausible just given kind of where he's at you can use him as a roller a little bit mm-hmm. we know that harden likes right? to use yeah he, he likes to you know that uh, he like likes to use those bouncy rollers a little bit, you know, those kind of smaller guys, good cutter. He's not really a guy you're going to guard from the corners from three, but you know, it was okay there. Again, I know Sixers fans probably don't want to see guys who can be sagged off from the corners, but you have to, it's a good reminder that when you're working with the tax permit level, or maybe the non-taxpayer, you're not going to be getting the perfect rotation player. So just a couple more names come come to mind. Um, other guys, PJ Tucker, Pat Gonson, Nicholas Fatum, but those but those are all player options and they're on teams that are pretty, good situations for them. So it seems skeptical, but yeah, uh, those are some some names that come to mind.
1: Yeah. I think you guys are both nailing it too. consistency and just getting deeper. I think that's basically what, what the, what the name of the game is for the Sixers this off season. We don't want to be playing four on five or, you know what I mean? Like you like without Joel in the lineup, those first two games against Miami. I mean, you saw the, the gap between a a team that was right there to make the NBA finals and the Sixers who, again, without any depth behind Joel and, and the high level guys we saw just how far off they are. So, again, this is all going to happen in the next couple of weeks here. We're going to get some answers to all these questions that we have. Uh, Mr. Paul, I want to thank you for joining me. Jackson, looking great with the new haircut. And, Paul, you, it's, it's got to be up to par with, with Jackson's haircut, the one you're finally going to get today, right? <laughs> we'll
2: see, uh, we'll see what, it, what, it, what it winds up looking like. I might just shake it out just not go. I might just <laughs> –
1: that's all right. We'll keep it going. And, and don't forget, we're going to have everything covered at LibertyBallers.com. Uh, Jackson obviously does a ton of writing there, so does Paul. Uh, Paul is going to be at the practice facility at, around the team on Thursday for the NBA draft. So we will have you covered for that. And like I said, free agency coming up just around the corner as well. Uh, I'm going to release the audio portion of this when we do. Part two, I'll be talking with Ohio State assistant coach Jake Diebler, uh, getting some insight into EJ Liddell, another player that might be available at number 23. So I want to thank everyone for joining us. Paul Jackson, again, you guys always do a great job. Looking forward to continuing to, to read your work and, and follow up with you guys over the next month or so here.
0: Right on. Good. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of.